0: This morning I'm excited because we're going to begin a brand new series entitled Game Changers and uh, we're going to talk about really how God through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, through the different things that He has given to us has really changed the game, right? How that the game of life and the game of faith has literally been transformed and changed because of what God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ we look at some specific things today, and I was kind of preparing for this message I was just kind of thinking of some of the really the inventions right I was thinking of some of the inventions and discoveries that have been made over the years that have been game changers And I was thinking how grateful and thankful. I am for electricity. How about you guys? Aren't you glad you can walk in the house flip the switch and the light just comes on you can plug something in and you can charge it up We don't even think about those things anymore. How about can I get an amen for indoor plumbing? Praise God for indoor plumbing. Isn't that great? If you've ever traveled outside the United States, you get a little taste of what it's like not to maybe have indoor plumbing. And uh, what a blessing that is to get up and have the restroom right there in your own house. And then I was thinking about Henry Ford, praise God for the car, right? I'm so thankful that when we leave church today, we don't have to go saddle up our horses to go home, Uh, that we can turn the car and we crank it up and we can go wherever we want to go. What a blessing uh, that is. And then I was thinking about, of course, one of the biggest game changers in our generation, of course, has been the cell phone, the smartphone, and maybe it's a blessing, maybe it's a curse. You can kind of decide what that is in your life, but there have been a lot of game changers. And I was thinking, of course, who who could imagine our world without one of the greatest inventions ever made? Made. How many of you are so thankful today for the post note <laughs> Y'all know you use them. Come on. You would forget all that stuff, right, if you didn't have your post-a-note? Well, I thought it was going to be funny. maybe funnier than what I thought it was going to be. I'm not sure. Anyway. All right. Look at that first point on your outline this morning. Let's talk about Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate game changer. If you're a note taker, you got your outline. There's first point. Jesus is the ultimate game changer. His life, his death, his resurrection literally changed the game of faith. It changed the game of eternity. It changed the game of mankind's relationship with God. Hebrews chapter 8. We're going to read a lot today out of the book of Hebrews, by the way. Uh, It's a great book. You ought to go home and read it, spend some time in it this week. It says, but now Jesus our high priest. And you're going to see that phrase used repetitively today, Jesus, our high priest. Because what we're going to see today is we're going to see that Jesus has created and implemented a new covenant with God through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And he is the high priest of that new covenant that we have with him, with God, because of Jesus Christ. It says, but now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. A better covenant with better promises. Can I get an amen from somebody today? If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, he said, The day is coming, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. And this covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my backs on them, says the Lord. And this is a new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people, verse 11. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. And when God speaks of a new covenant, it means that he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date, and it will soon disappear. Look at that next point on your outline. Jesus brought an end to the old covenant, and he ushered in a brand new covenant. He literally changed the way that we come to God. Now, when, it say, when we say that Jesus brought an end to the old covenant, Jesus said he didn't come to destroy the law. He actually came to fulfill it. And when Jesus came, he literally fulfilled the law. He brought a fulfillment to the old covenant. He tied a on, bow on it and said, it is finished, it is done. And when he fulfilled the old covenant, which is what we call the Old Testament, All of a sudden, he implemented something brand new. He implemented what we call now a new covenant or the New Testament because we, as believers in Jesus Christ, are New Testament believers. So we came out from under an Old Testament, an Old Covenant, and now we've entered into a brand new covenant. And it is that new covenant that we have in Christ that really changes everything. It changes the way that we come and approach God. And what I really felt like the Holy Spirit said, I wrote it down just so I wouldn't forget it. He said, Keith, sometimes we as New Testament Christians take for granted the gift of God through Jesus Christ. And then he said this to me. He said, Keith, he said, uh, because we are American Christians, most of us are so far removed from the culture of the Old Covenant Right, If you go and you look at some Middle Eastern countries today, you can kind of get a picture of an old covenant mentality, an old covenant way of living life. But as Americans, we are so far removed from that old covenant mentality. This is what I felt like the Lord said. He said, we're so far removed from it that we just take for granted what Jesus has done in our lives. And then he said this. He said, and if you're not careful, many times as American Christians, we will act like spoiled brats. Now, aren't you glad you don't have any spoiled brats in your family? They're always in the other families, right? He said, we act like spoiled brats who just constantly want more and fail to appreciate what we already have. And this is what I've recognized in my life. I've recognized in my life that when I am not grateful for what I have, my ingratitude actually keeps me from receiving the more that God has. Because let me tell you something, the truth is God has more. He's the God of more than enough. God is not stingy. God is not greedy. God is not in heaven holding anything back. As a matter of fact, the new covenant that we have in Jesus gives us full access to everything that God has for us. But this is what I recognize. I recognize that in my own life, when I am not grateful and appreciate what I have, it actually creates a wall of separation that keeps me from moving forward and receiving the more that God has for me. And we've all seen it in people's lives. When people are greedy and selfish and they're ungrateful for what they have, all of a sudden that ingratitude actually becomes a stumbling block that keeps them from moving forward. And so I felt like the Lord said, Keith, this morning what I really want to do is I want to just shine a fresh light on what Jesus has done. And I want to create an attitude of gratitude in the hearts of people so that we begin to really not just appreciate what he's done, but we begin to celebrate the gift of God that we have through Jesus Christ and that we've entered into a new covenant that literally changed the way that men and women come before God. So today that's what we're going to do. Is that okay with everybody? We're just going to kind of take a little look at some contradictory statements, or not contradictory statements, some conflicting ideas between the old covenant and the new covenant, and we're going to see how God took us out of the old, brought us into the new, and the change that that makes in our lives now as New Testament Christians coming before the Lord. So look at that first point, or that next point on your outline. So under the old covenant, only the high priest, Once a year, with great fear, could enter into the presence of God. Under the old covenant, and I think about that, under the old covenant... In the in the in the in the Bible in the Old Testament, only the high priest once a year could enter into the presence of God, and with great fear, he would enter into God's presence. But through Jesus, we have 24-7 access to the Father freely and boldly coming into his presence without fear. Can I get an amen from somebody today? What an awesome thing. We now have unhindered, unrestricted access through Jesus Christ to enter into the presence of God. Of God look what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 9 he says but only the high priest ever entered the most holy place and only once a year and he always offered blood for his own sins and for the sins of the people that had the sins the people had committed in ignorance and by these regulations look at verse 8 the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance into the most holy place was not freely open as long as the tabernacle and the system it represented were still in use. So the writer of Hebrews says that God through the Holy Spirit was showing us something in the Old Covenant, that through the high priest only once a year entering into the presence of God, that the way into God's presence was not yet fully revealed, that only Jesus would create a way where 24-7, 365 days a year, we could boldly come into the presence of God and experience everything that he has. Now think about that system. See, I don't think we realize that. The average worshiper in the Old Covenant, think about this. If you were a Jew living under the Old Covenant in the Old Testament, the average worshiper lived in the outer court. The tabernacle or the temple had three courts. It had an outer court where the people gathered. And the only thing that happened in the outer court, well, there was fellowship and relationship, but there was a brazen altar because that is where the blood would run hot that day. Why? Because every time you came to the house of God, there was a sacrifice that was required to cover the sins that you had committed. And the Bible says that not only did the average Jew live in the outer court, but they could never go further. They could never go past the brazen altar and the laver. They could never enter into the holy place, which is where the Word of God and the Spirit of God was moving. They could never go into the holiest of holies. That was the place reserved for the high priest only once a year would he go in. And so now, as New Testament Christians, consider what we have. We have 24-7, 365 days a year access to the Father. And not only do we have that access to the Father, but the Bible says we can come boldly. Hebrews chapter 4, let's read it together. Hebrews chapter 4 says this. It says, So then, since we have a great high priest, speaking of Jesus again, who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Think about that for just a second. Jesus knows what it feels like, right? He knows what it feels like to be betrayed, to be rejected, to be abandoned, to be ignored. He knows what it feels like to suffer physical pain and emotional heartache. He knows what it feels like to suffer loss and grief and bury the people that you love. He understands every feeling, every temptation, every struggle you've ever went through. He has faced it too, but you know what the Bible said? He did it without sin. And now he is able to minister to us, and he's able to strengthen us, and he's able to help us overcome the temptations and struggles of life. Look at that next verse, verse 16, Hebrews 4. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. Let us come boldly. Let me tell you what the high priest never did. He never boldly entered the Holy of Holies. He never boldly entered the holiest of holies. And let me tell you why. Jewish history tells us this, that when the high priest would go in to the holiest of holies to offer the blood, once a year, he would enter in the presence of God. Once a year, he would take blood and put on the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat to atone for his own sin and the sins of the people. Jewish history tells us they would tie a rope around his waist with bells on it so that when he went into the holiest of holies, if he were to make God mad, God might kill him. And if God killed him in the holiest of holies, guess what? Nobody else could go in after him. So can you imagine being the high priest and where we come to church and we're like, man, I get to worship Jesus and I get to talk to Jesus and I get to serve Jesus. The The high priest is like, okay, y'all tie that rope around me. I'm going to try my best not to sin. I'm going to say anything stupid when I'm in the presence of God. And can you imagine how he must have slipped through that curtain With fear and trembling. Hoping that he did not invoke the anger of God by some misstep or misaction that he might say or think or do in the presence of God. And if he did, they'd drag him out by that rope. That was the only way one person, once a year, entered the presence of God. And then here comes Jesus. And Jesus says, let us boldly enter into the throne of our gracious God. Let us boldly come before him so we can have mercy and grace to help us in time of need. You know when you need mercy and grace the most? When you've screwed up the worst. When you've screwed up the worst, you need it the most. And you know what the good news of the gospel is? The Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. If you read that scripture in 1 John, it says perfect love casts out fear. If you back up and read the context of that, what are we not to be afraid of? He says we don't have to fear judgment. I don't have to be afraid of being judged by God because Jesus has already bore the judgment of God on the cross for my sin. So I can now come boldly, not with fearful trembling, I'm afraid I'm going to make God mad, but with confident hope that I'm going to enter into the presence of my Father and He's going to love me and He's going to receive me and He's going to help me find the things that I need the most to overcome whatever's facing me in my life. What an awesome privilege that we have in Christ that we can come boldly Before the throne of grace. Not on our merit, but on the merit of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen. Look at that next point. Under the old covenant, worship and prayer. I don't think we recognize this. Worship and prayer was limited to one place. One place. And it was defined by rigorous ritual. You didn't casually walk into the house of God. You didn't casually worship God in the Old Testament. There was a rigorous ritual that defined everything that you did in every element of worship. When you approached God, you did not casually, half-heartedly, easily, jokingly, light-heartedly enter His presence. No, there was a ritual. And not only was there a a rigorous ritual, but there was only one place. I want you to think about that. Where God had chosen to meet with people. But through Jesus, we can worship, we can pray to God in spirit and truth anywhere, anytime, at any place, without restrictions, without reservations. I want you to consider, look with me in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. We know this scripture, but I don't think we understand the, the context in which it is being spoken. Listen to what the, the, the Word of God says. It says, then one night the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, I have heard your prayer, and I have chosen this temple as a place for making sacrifices now this is solomon solomon has just built the temple is about to dedicate the temple and god says i've chosen this place before there was a temple there was a tabernacle y'all remember that and in the tabernacle in the wilderness you know what the word tabernacle means it means tent of meeting it was in the tabernacle that god would meet with them it was in the tabernacle that god would instruct them it was in the tabernacle that god would speak to them they had one place You didn't get a word from God when you were at home on your back deck doing your quiet time. There was one place to pray. There was one place to offer sacrifice. You couldn't build an altar in the backyard just because it was convenient. There was one place. One place of worship, one place of sacrifice, one place of prayer. There was one place. And from the tabernacle, God ordained the tabernacle. And then when they built the temple... God said, I've ordained this place. I've consecrated this place. Look at the rest of the scripture here. Look at verse 13. He says, and at times I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls, or I might command grasshoppers to devour your crops, or I might send plagues among you. I'm going to talk about that in a minute because God says he's going to do some pretty nasty stuff. But look what he says in verse 14. We know this scripture, right? Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will restore their land. And the principle of that verse is still true today. Amen? Yeah. But I want you to see the context of the Old Covenant. I want you to see this. Look at the next verse, verse 15. And my eyes will be open, and my mirror ears will be attentive to every prayer made in... What do you mean you're going to pray at home? I don't hear those prayers. What do you mean you're going to pray on your way to work? I don't hear those prayers. What do you mean you're going to try to talk to me while you're out there plowing in the field? I don't hear those prayers. My eyes and my ears are attentive to the prayers that are made in this place. See, in the old covenant, it was all about a place. It was all about a place. You know why the Jews every year had to make a pilgrimage back to Jerusalem? You know why the Bible says in Daniel that when Daniel, who had been taken captive by the Babylonians, three times a day he would pray. Do you remember what he would do? He would open his window, and you know what he did? He prayed, the Bible says what? Toward Jerusalem. Why? Because there was only one place that God would hear your prayers. There was only one place of worship. Do you know why today Jews, still living under an old covenant mentality, why they go to the Western Wall to pray? Because that is a holy place. Because the Temple Mount is there, and we're praying toward the temple because that's the place. How many are glad today that we have places of worship, but it's no longer about a place, it's about a person? It's no longer about i got to be in the right place. No, i got to know the right person. His name is Jesus. Come on, somebody. John chapter 4, look what Jesus said. Jesus said, God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And in John 16, Jesus said, and in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Let me tell you something. When Jesus told the disciples to ask God to answer their prayers in his name, this was a radical idea. Nowhere had anybody ever heard of using any other name than the old covenant Hebrew names of God to approach the Lord. And then here comes Jesus, and he says, I'm going to fulfill the law. I'm going to be the fulfillment of the old covenant. I'm going to establish a brand new covenant. So when you pray, whatever you ask the Father, in my name, he'll give it to you. When we say, in Jesus' name, at the end of our prayers, that's not a catchy tagline. That's not our Christian hashtag. When we say in Jesus' name, let me tell you what you're doing. Every time you pray a prayer and you say in Jesus' name, you are invoking the power of the new covenant. Because it's not about a place, it's about a person. It's not about a place. And see, I think as New Testament Christians, we don't even realize that. We're just so used to, there's a church on every corner, and I can talk to God anywhere I want to go, and I can worship the Lord while I'm deer hunting. Well, probably not, but anyway, come on, somebody. That's a whole other sermon. I'll give you that later. But you know what you can do? You can worship and you can pray anywhere and any place. Why? Because it's no longer about a place. It's all about a name. It's the name of Jesus. It's a person. It's a relationship. The heart of God, hear me, the heart of God has not changed. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, the heart of God has not changed. God's heart then and God's heart now is intimate relationship with you. He wants to know you. He wants to be known by you. Not rules and regulations. Intimate relationship with the father. Look at that next point. We're going to hit this one fast because I want to get to our last one and we're going to hang out there for a minute. Under the old covenant, you were required to offer sacrifices continually to cover your sins. But through Jesus, his sacrifice not only covers our sins, but he forgives our sins and removes them for eternity. Look at Hebrews 9 again. It says, So Christ has become the high priest over all the good things that have come. And he has entered the greater more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. And with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place. Look at that next word. Once for all time. And he secured our redemption for how long? Forever. Under the old covenant, every time you sinned, you had to go make a sacrifice for that sin. Let me just tell you something. It was a bloody, bloody, bloody religion. Every time you sinned, an animal had to die. Every time you sinned, you had to cut a throat of some animal because the wages of sin is death. And can you imagine? I'm so thankful. I told the 8 o'clock service. I said, I'm so thankful that we train ushers and not priests. See, because if you were a, a priest... That instead of having a vest on that says usher and welcoming people when they come to the house of God, we'd have an altar built out there. And when people come bringing their cows and goats, you'd help them cut their throats and pour out the blood. And that's how you approach God. That was sacrifice. That was worship. And we're like, man, we sing way too many songs. My arms get tired. I'm so thankful for a new covenant. I'm so thankful that we get to enter in and that there's one sacrifice that's redeemed all humanity for all time, and His name is Jesus. Now look at this last point on your outline, because I want to clarify some things here. This This is good. Under the old covenant, in order to purify the people of sin, I want you to hear this. In order to purify the people of sin, God would punish sinners, and the punishment for sin is death. In the new covenant God punished Jesus for our sins so he could sanctify sinners and purify the hearts of those who believe in Jesus bringing them into the right into right standing with God. So think about this in the old covenant God would purify the people of sin by punishing sinners and many times that punishment for sin was death. You remember what God said in 2 Chronicles? He said, sometimes I'll send a plague. Sometimes I'll send a famine. Sometimes I might send grasshoppers and destroy your crops. And if I do that, then pray. Seek my face. Turn from your wicked ways. You know why? Because under the old covenant, hear me, the only way God could purify the people of sin was to kill the people that were sinning. Sometimes people read the Bible, and they read the Old Testament, and they're like, man, it seems like the God in the Old Testament was angry and mad. And the God in the New Testament is full of love and grace. Let me give you a great revelation today. God hadn't changed. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, which means we didn't fully understand it. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed, which means Jesus fulfilled it and brought it into a new place where a new covenant, where God's heart would fully be manifested in the lives of people. Let me tell you something. The God of the Old Testament that hated sin still hates sin in the New Testament. And the God of the New Testament that loves sinners still loves sinners in the Old Testament. He hadn't changed. Let me tell you what changed. What changed from how God interacted with people in the Old Testament and how God interacts with people in the New Testament is simply this. We went from an Old Covenant to a New Covenant. Because under the Old Covenant, God had one way to deal with sin. He killed sinners. Because He loved people so much, hear me, that when sin broke out in the camp of Israel, Instead of letting that sin and rebellion spread throughout the entire people and defile them, God would kill the people that were in the sin to spare the other people from being corrupted by sin. And you're like, well, Pastor Keith, that sounds really harsh. It really does sound harsh, but it was really the loving thing that God was doing because he cared. And let me be honest with you. To some degree, you do the same thing. If you have a child, a teenager specifically, that starts running around with some other teenagers that aren't doing the right thing, you know what you'll do? You won't kill them, but you'll do everything you can to keep them away from your kid. You know why you do that? Why do you separate your kids from other kids that aren't doing the right thing? You know why? Because you know that sin, the Bible says, is like leaven, and a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And you let a little rebellious spirit in this kid hang out with your kid long enough, and before you know it, that same rebellious spirit in them will be in your kid. And that same attitude in them will be in your kid. And that same demeanor in them will be in your kid. Now, I'm not saying go home and kill any kids. Please don't. Please don't. But I'm saying you understand that, right? You understand there has to be a separation because if they're not separated from the wrong influences, they will be influenced. In the old covenant, God judged sin by judging sinners let me give you an example great story book of numbers it says on the next day all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron saying you have killed the people of the Lord now this is where Korah who was a priest 250 priests rebelled against Moses rebelled against God and the earth opened up and swallowed him alive how many you glad God still don't open the earth and swallow up people when they complain and rebel you would be dead I'd have been sucked up a long time ago. Nobody would survive teenagehood. Do you know what the Bible in the Old Testament taught to do to a rebellious teenager? Do you know what it actually said? Stone them to death. Why? Because under the Old Covenant, the only way God could deal with sin was to punish sinners. God hasn't changed. His heart hasn't changed. He didn't go from being mean to being nice. He was just as loving in the old as he is in the new. The only thing that changed is in the old covenant, God was bound by old covenant. And in the new covenant, there's now a new covenant in which he deals with people. God, the Bible says, is a covenant-keeping God. God honors covenant. So when he makes a covenant in the Old Testament, he honors that covenant. And when he enters into a new covenant through Jesus in the New Testament, he honors that covenant. That's why the Bible tells us now that God is not judging the earth, but now our sins are being laid up and stored for the final day of judgment. One day, every one of us will stand before God and give an account for our lives. But God is no longer opening the earth and swallowing people up. God is no longer judging the earth because of sin. Why? Because Jesus bore the sin of the world. Just rationalize with me for a minute. Think about this. If God punished Jesus for the sins of the world, then God would be unjust to judge the world now for what Jesus already paid for. And he's not unjust. And we look, what's funny, in the Old Testament people say, man, God's just so angry and so mean, why is he doing all this? In the New Testament, you know what I hear Christians say? I don't know why God don't do something. Those mean people need to be judged. <laughs> you ever said that? You ever thought that? I wish God do something. I wish he'd strike them people down. Well, you weren't saying that when you were the one needed to be struck down. You weren't saying that when it was your sin and your rebellion that was causing other people pain. You weren't saying that when you were the one lying, cheating, and stealing. And the only difference, the only reason God's not judging you now is because of Jesus. He bore the penalty and punishment of our sin. And now, if you reject Jesus, you don't know how it's so important to accept Christ. Because if you reject Jesus, then when you do stand before God, if you reject the new covenant, then you will be judged under the old covenant. And not only will you die physically, but you'll die spiritually. You'll be cast into what the Bible calls the lake of fire. Whoever's name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire where they will be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever and ever. Because now there's a new covenant. And Jesus brought that in. And how beautiful it is today. God hadn't changed. The covenant changed. And if I reject the new covenant, i got to live under the old covenant. If I live under the old covenant, I'm going to die. That's why the Bible says the letter of the law brings death. It's the spirit that brings life. Only Jesus can save us because Jesus has redeemed us. And so today I want you to do this. Let's just bow our heads today. I want to challenge you with two thoughts, and I do this every Sunday. First thought is this. If you're here today and you're a Christian, you're watching online and you're a Christian, I want to challenge you today. Have you you taken lightly the gift that we have through Jesus Christ? Have you lightly esteemed that new covenant that was purchased through His blood? Have you taken the privileges that we have of approaching God and knowing God and being intimate with God, using the name of Jesus as a new covenant power? Have you taken all that for granted? Have you lightly esteemed, the Bible says, the rock of our salvation? because if you have today's a good day to repent today's a good day just to say God I'm sorry I confess that it's sin Lord I've lightly esteemed it Lord I've just casually looked at it I've I've had this amazing opportunity to know you and walk with you and be intimate with you and I've still just kind of done nothing with it. and today I'm sorry I I, I repent I change the way I think today I'm going to fully embrace the covenant that you've made with us through your son and I'm not going to let it lightly fall to the ground So you need to just do some business right now. All of us need to do business right now. The second thing that I do every Sunday is simply this. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're in the room. Maybe you're watching online and you realize something. You realize you've never experienced or embraced that new covenant with Jesus. You've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life. And the sobering reality is if you're not living in the new covenant, then you are going to be doomed by the old covenant. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Nobody escapes. Jesus offers hope. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So if you're here this morning in person or online, you say, Pastor Keith, today I want to accept Jesus Christ. I've never been born again. I know that I know that I know. I've never been saved. But today, I want to trust Him as my Lord and Savior. If that's you, I want you just to raise your hand just all over this building. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. Just a simple act of faith. Raise your hand and say, today I want to accept Christ. Today, I want to be born again. I want to know that I know that Jesus is the Lord of my life. If you're watching online, just hit that little hand emoji. Type in the comment box. I'm raising my hand. We want to pray with you there. Hands are being raised right here to the back. Ushers, if we can. We're about to pray. Ushers are going to slip you a little packet if you got your hand up. We're about to pray together. Anybody else want to raise your hand this morning before we pray? Today I want to enter that new covenant with Jesus. With every head bowed, every eye closed, let's pray this prayer together. Let's say it out loud right now together, all of you in this room. For those of you watching online that are raising your hands right now, this is for you too. Let's say it together. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day. I confess that I'm a sinner. And I ask you to save me. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. I make you my Lord and my Savior. And I receive the gift of the new covenant in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand, a clap of praise this morning. Amen. If you pray that prayer, welcome to the family. We love you. We're so excited uh, just to see what God is going to do in your life. On the front of that salvation packet, there's a card. If you'd fill that out, give that to one of our ushers before you leave today. We'd love to follow up with you and help you take that next step. Same for you watching online today. We want to follow up with you too. Well, this morning I'm going to ask Gloria and uh, the whole Johansson family, if they will, to come. We're going to ask you just to give us about two more minutes, if you would, this morning. We want to just pray a special prayer, a blessing over Gloria this morning. As I said earlier, she's going to be going to Colorado, uh, to a Bible college up there. And uh, what an uh, amazing opportunity. Come on up, ladies. Come right back here. Let you stand right here. Gather around you. Amen. Let mom and dad get in here. This is just a small piece of the family right here. Amen. Amen. Well, why don't you stretch your hands out to her today? Father, we just thank you today for Gloria. Lord, we just lay our hands upon her today, and we declare your blessing and favor upon her. Father, you said, Lord, how shall they go unless they be sent? So, Lord, today we send her. God, we send and release her today with the blessing and favor of God. Father, we declare that your hand would be upon her, that your spirit would guide her. And, Lord, that you would cultivate in her the gifts and the callings of God. Lord, that this next step would literally be a catapult for her as she would move forward into the vision and mission that you have for her life. So we bless her. We pray peace and provision over her life. And we thank you for the gift of God and for the glory of the Lord that rests upon her now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give him a great big round of applause. Amen. Well, God bless you. You are dismissed. Have a great day in the Lord.